Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We talk today to Roger Maitra. He's the CEO of UEX Corporation, an Athabasca-based explorer. We talk to him about their strategy and what they're doing to stand out from the crowd. We talk about directors' remuneration, also their nickel and cobalt assets, which they've got in the portfolio, and how they hope to monetize those. Hello, Roger. How are you? I'm doing great. So yeah. you're in London for the WNA. We are in around the WNA and a little bit of the WNA and meetings around it as well. Right. And uh, what are you hoping to get from it? What are we, we're just hoping, honestly, for our, for our shareholders to get a little more exposure to what we're doing in the uranium and cobalt sectors right. uh, outside of the Canadian market, just to, because uranium interest is starting to pick up again. Right. And you, have you got shareholders over here in Europe? Or uh, we do have a few shareholders here in Europe, but, it's, it's, but we're dominantly Canadian and American uh, shareholder base. Right. What do you, what, what's the general mood, do you think? I mean, I, it's, only, it's only Wednesday, right? But, but what's the general mood? Have you kind of picked anything up? General optimism. People, I think, are starting to sniff value at the bottom of the uranium okay. cycle. And over the last few years, there's been a whole lot of hype. And it reminds me so for me, it reminds me of so much of 2004 when I was in the uranium space 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, people have heard it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. They get tired of hearing it coming, and now I think people are starting to believe it might be coming. Right. So we're just trying to talk to people what we're doing so that when that comes, they already know who we are. Yeah, a lot of people talking about the macro story and nothing but to, you know, to the detriment of telling their own story, say, but no one's quite sure of, of when it's coming. So yeah. I think we'll leave it, <laughs> leave it to people that are smarter than me. Fair enough. Um, let's talk about your project. Can you give us a minute summary and then we'll get stuck into some questions? Yeah, sure. Uh, UX is one of the older junior companies out there. Uh, I think we were formed in 2001 and we're probably one of the third or fourth oldest junior company in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we have 21 projects, 18 in uranium, three in cobalt, but we have sort of four flagship projects, which right. is a lot for a junior company. Yeah. Uh, and our goal really is, we have two projects that are on the wings waiting for development that under today's uranium prices, even in being hosted in the Athabasca base and all our projects, yeah. uh, just won't move ahead, unlike any other company that's in the Athabasca basin. So our goal short term is to build the pie, as much resources we have in our portfolio right. when that time comes. Uh, and then when that time does come, we'll be able to move those other two projects towards, cons towards construction. Okay, so you're a kind of interesting story to me because you've got a lot going. You, you pick the tough uh, commodities, <laughs> uranium and cobalt, right? Um, and obviously cobalt's coming back up a bit. There's a nickel component to mm. that and then there's the uranium stuff. So can we just talk about what you're thinking is and what you're trying to build out here because there's a lot of moving parts you can't fund them all not true and you know it's a lot of resource required to actually get those things moving so let's talk about what you're trying to build first so okay. we're, we're, talk to me about the management plan we're definitely a uranium company right okay, okay. so first and foremost is moving uranium to our two core uranium projects forward um, but because they're at the study phase and ready to move forward from yeah. that in the current market it's not feasible right. nor does it make sense to try to build something that's not ready for the market or the market's not ready for mm. um, meanwhile uh, on our uranium projects we had a cobalt prospect and we realized in t late 2017 that it was a pretty significant cobalt prospect by world standards outside of the drc and so the plan has always been to get shareholder value for those cobalt assets that are non-core to the company 
right. and eventually move them out somehow. And there's multiple ways we can do it. And last year we were looking at a spin out. And unfortunately that timing for the spin out, by the time we did the work we did, hit the downswing of the market. Mm. So while I have, have some shareholders that are really unhappy that we didn't do the spin out, it makes no sense to, to do something with those cobalt assets. Until so that's value. off the table. Uh, no, we're still. We did lots of work on the cobalt this year, but on a temp. I would say more of a, of a temporary basis. We were defining a deposit, so we put some resources into that this year. Right. Our plan is still to create value for those assets for sure. So I just want to be clear, because like you say, there's a lot of kind of discourse mm -hmm. in the marketplace. What happened? We were mm -hmm. promised this. The the timing of the the cobalt price wasn't with you when you were thinking of doing that. It actually imploded all in the same one week period. <laughs> there we go. And you, your job. Mm -hmm. from mitigating risk across the organization is to maximize value, all of these lovely cliches. Yeah. But what, is, what does that mean for shareholders? You're saying, we decided not to do that project, to spin that out, because it would be the wrong thing for shareholders. Absolutely, and I think the only reason to do a spin out is that the spin out creates more value than having it inside the, the company mm -hmm. in the short term. Mm -hmm. And when we were ready to do the spin out, got our 43-101 report together from a, a virtual program that we started only in January, by the mm -hmm. beginning of June, we were ready to start the spin out uh, with, a, with a resource. Mm -hmm. uh, the market price cratered. Yeah. And then being in Canada and Toronto focused in terms of the markets, yeah. uh, there was a financing done in Toronto in the cobalt space that did not go really well. Not our financing was another company, and it became that that commodity became a four-letter word in Toronto for a period of time. So we could have done it, come you know, no matter what, and forced it to happen. But I think there was a strong risk that we would have orphaned right. the cobalt assets or imperiled the right. uranium company. And at that time, we said, okay, we'll put it off temporarily, and we'll see when the market demands. Okay. value for that cobalt. But do you know what you've got with that? Yes, we do. Yes, right. we do. You we know exactly what you've got. So what, what, what data do you have? So we've done about uh, just a little under $5 million worth of work over the last two winters okay. on, a, on the West Bear cobalt nickel, cobalt nickel project. And we've defined resources over a strike length of 650 meters, pitable starting at 30 meters depth, going down to about 100 meters depth. We fully defined it and we're in the process of putting together a final resource on that. Right. We did an interim resource on it last year. While it was not big enough to be moved forward last year, the deposit was open-ended in all directions. I think we've defined the limits of this particular single deposit at this point in time. Right. And now we're ready to start moving forward. So your 60 million market cap, mm -hmm. how much do you think of that is attributable to cobalt and nickel? I would say probably about 20%. But, that's, but if you asked any investor, they'd have a very different view on that. Some would say higher, some would say lower. So right. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say about 20%. So it's not worth a whole bunch of money right now. No, so it's what not. are you gonna do? Uh, right now, I think it comes down to whether investors want to, to, to be into cobalt. Uh, and when we look at the, the assets, if it's gonna be spun out or find a partner, it has to create, it has to create, I know it's a buzzword, it has to create value. So the last thing we do, say we went spin out route, and spun it out, how does it finance? Is it financeable? Yeah. Uh, the question would be- What's your liability? Uh, right? well, absolutely, and, and so you're sitting here going, well, maybe we can spin it out and maybe we can raise six months worth of money to keep it floating. What happens in six months? Right. Is it orphaned? And then there's no value to that property to a current UX So what's happening? Are you just, you're gonna do nothing with it this year? 
we are still looking to move forward. I think the market in cobalt is changing as we watch it every day. And in the moment the time is right, we make a pull, but we have been contacting people who, uh, other people, not just the spin out route to see where the value is. So we're we're very active on it, but it is very quiet because negotiations and discussions and talking with bankers isn't something you put in the public domain. But there are conversations going on and you are evaluating Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You can give no sense of timing <laughs> yet. Not, not yet, but our goal has always been to do it as soon as it's feasible, in our opinion, feasible from the board point of view. Right, okay. Okay. And, but you know, in the Canadian market, uh, in, the, in the North American market for cobalt particularly, uh, that's the, we're seeing a lot of M&A activity right now, a lot more interest. And what I see particularly happening over the last year is a change in the way that, that cobalt sort of future is valued mm. by investors. There was a lot of rumors out there about cobalt not being used in, bat- in EV batteries, which is driving all the interest in the last little while. It's going to be engineered out, and I think we've seen that that's not the case, and it's not going to be the case anytime right. soon. And then we're seeing a global, we're taking a global market and turning it into a regional market. You yeah. see, the, you know, in here in Europe, the people are are really busy trying to build regional gigafactories. We're seeing the same in North America. We're seeing, of course, China dominates things now, and everyone's starting to get into this sort yeah. of, I think, what Benchmark Minerals calls the uh, EV arms race. Yeah. And so there's definite interest in seeing cobalt projects that aren't DRC-based and have those challenges with the with sourcing out of the DRC. Yeah, it's a, mu- it's a much told story, mm-hmm. but like you say, making it happen is another matter. Absolutely. Um, so you're parking that for now. How much money have you spent on it in total? I know. In total, in the last two years, just a little under $5 million. So it's just we've, that. We've drilled about 175 drill holes. Sure. So we've done a lot of work for a little bit of money. Right, okay. So you'd need to, you'd want to recoup at least that. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair for shareholders one way or the other. Right. And, and, and the form may differ. It could be cash up front if it was a bought out right sale. It could be, you know, our company was founded on a dividend out of shareholders through a spin out. Right. Uh, the, 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 the shareholders of the parent company received our shares in, as in, in exchange. And that, you know, we would look at that as well. So it's, it's very early stage. You've got to Mm-hmm. You've got to recoup your, your capital. So EVing is a distraction? Uh, I think for some shareholders, yes, and for others, not. And I think that's one of the key reasons why our company feels that eventually they have to be going in different, they have to be separated from each other somehow. Right, okay. Let's leave that. Yeah. I think that one's uh, sit back and wait and see. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not sure on timing, and mm-hmm. you'll let us know when you know, right? The market will actually probably let you know more than anything <laughs> else, to be honest. We'll see, we'll see. So let's talk about uranium, because that's why yeah. I'm, I'm here. Uh, WNA is happening this week, mm-hmm. as we said. You're meeting a bunch of people, shareholders, you know, funds, trying to get everyone g up and get a sense of what's going on. Okay, so 20% of your 60 million market cap is cobalt and nickel. There's 48 million, just under 50 million mm-hmm. bucks, which is, you think this company's worth based on its uranium. Uh, uh, there's a lot going on with the mm-hmm. uranium assets. You've got a lot of assets. Mm-hmm. You're a small company. How much cash have you got? We have just a little under $5 million Canadian right now. Right. And uh, again, back to the strategy, back to what you're thinking. You're going to spend $5 million bucks to do what? What's the first thing on the list? So the first thing on the list is grow the uranium resources in our inventory. Right. So that's your strategy. Grow that's, the resource. That's correct. Okay. okay. Now we do have two projects, our Shea Creek project and a Horseshoe Raven project where we have resources. We have PA level type studies on them mm-hmm. that are ready to move forward in the next stage. We know that, you know, in the example of our Horseshoe Raven project, it's going to take $48 uranium to, to be uh, Canadian in Canadian dollars to break even. So we could sit there and try to pretend to 
advance this project forward, but the market's right. not ready for it, and, and nor is the signal there that we're going to see that price imminently in the next few weeks. So and essentially, so it's, it's 48 bucks to break even. Yeah, which is pretty comparable to what you see yeah, in, yeah. in Athabasca projects. Yeah, people are talking 50, 55, yeah. 60, yeah. 60, you know. And that's a Horseshoe Raven, and then our Sherry Creek project yeah. is on the west side. It's the first of those west side discoveries right. done back in the mid-2000s, and yeah. when we were the market darlings of uh, the uranium world back then. Yeah. And our partner is Arano, and Arano's been going through their challenges, and if that project's been put on their shelf short-term while they reorganize their their operations. Right, so how do you prioritize what you're gonna do? You got a, you got a project, you gotta wait till price discovery happens and it starts moving. Utilities start buying, yep. doing contracts, and it's gonna get to 48 bucks. That's a break-even level mm -hmm. for you, right? So you need a little higher to be incentivized. Yes. Right, okay, that's what I'm saying. So you, I said we wouldn't talk macro. Now I'm gonna talk macro. So, What's the, your company's view on the timing of this? Are you, again, are you sitting back and dependent on what's going on in the marketplace or what level of control have you got about how you move forward? Okay. So on the Horseshoe and Raven project, we have complete control about how we move right. forward on that. It's 100% our project mm -hmm. and we can move that as we, see, as we see fit. We have been doing little things with that project over the last couple of years, doing some heat bleach studies to change the processing mm -hmm. methodology mm -hmm. and that's going along and continuing to move along, but at a pretty slow pace because we're not spending huge dollars on it. We don't feel it's appropriate to dilute shareholders to spend tens of millions of dollars on a project at this point in time in the market. So yes, the mark, when we see momentum in that direction, we'll mm. start to move on that project. It's a relatively simple project in the uranium space in that part of the world because mm. of its location, mm -hmm. its grade, and the fact that we literally have infrastructure crossing over the deposits, right. power, road, etc. Uh, so it's a relatively easier project to move forward than some of the other ones. We don't have water issues. It's conventional mining. Right. So we think, well, there's no such thing as fast tracking in uranium space. Right. It's one of the ones that can move quicker. Uh, I and think when, so when you say move quicker, it, if you got to press the button, how much money would you need? How quick would you get into production? And how quick would you be able to get into the market? Our PA from, from a few years ago shows that it's about $225 million to get to the finish line. Right, so it sounds like you've got to do some more studies, mm -hmm. some more economic studies above the PEA. Correct. To totally understand that and optimize that. Yeah. So what's the timing? You're probably looking in the in the seven-year window to seven-year seven window. Seven okay. To ten years. Okay, so you know where you fit in the yep. cycle, as it were. So as soon as the Correct. cycle moves, you know where you are and how you win. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's project number one. Uh, Shea Creek, that one's unfortunately in control of our majority shareholder, Federano, right, right. and I think that will be part of what happens on the west side, but we're not in control of that, and we'll participate as best we can, encourage our partner to do more. We don't feel that the positive has been fully defined, and in fact, we're pretty comfortable that it's not even close to being fully defined, mm. and we're gonna be pushing them to make that bigger in the meantime to incentivize something to happen in that part. So what, of are, what are they doing at the moment, and, and what's the relationship, financial relationship? <laughs> well, we're joint venture partners, right? And so they, but they're also the operator. So they get to pick and choose when projects get done, and because they own majority, they have yeah. the ability to say yay or nay to projects. What are you obligated to do financially? We don't have to do anything we don't want to. So okay. we we can dilute on any project we so desire. Right. Uh, we have eight joint venture projects with them. Well, Shea Creek is by far the most important one. Right. And we can decide whether to dilute on each individual one. And at Shea Creek, uh, we like them to propose some more programs if it's been idle for a couple of years. So. We haven't I mean, had to make any decisions on that. So the trouble with partnering with big companies is they've got lots of options all around the world and lots of different priorities to you. Correct. Right? Yeah. So 
you can try and push a sano, but they aren't necessarily going to move to, to mm -hmm. your drumbeat. They're going to they're follow Agreed. their own strategy. So this is a project which I think, would you say you're slightly out of control of, or what are your options? When you say we've got options, what can you do? Uh, well, I think we can do is, you, you, I always like to put ourselves in, in the other person's foot, uh, shoes yeah. and say, what do they have for options wise? When you look around the world at what they have, yeah. this is actually one of their better projects. Okay. And I think, quite frankly, it just needs, they just need to be reminded about the potential, right. above and beyond what they already have. And I think that's one of the things we can do to help them out and help them move the story. And why do you say but it's one of their better projects? Uh, because of its, one, its location. Right. To the fact that there's going to be infrastructure built up in that part of the world from some of the other companies that are, have success in that area. Right. Uh, when you look at what they have around the rest of the world, some of their stuff is in more difficult trains and probably uh, at higher cost, to be very honest, than what they could do here. And their other good project in, the same, in a similar jurisdiction, uh, they just put on the back burner. So, so there's a kind of the jurisdiction, get it, infrastructure, get it, and there's some more isolated projects which they, they may have mm -hmm. and the cost of getting that to a port, let alone out of the ground, is prohibitive. But so what do you know about this in terms of grades, in terms of what you've got apart from neurology? At Shea, at Shea Creek? Oh no, we, we have a, almost a hundred million pound deposit there right. at uh, a little over 1.3%, which is right. about average okay. for, the, for the Athabasca Basin or a little bit above average. Right. Uh, it's located 22 kilometers south of their former Clough Lake operating mine that yeah. they ran themselves. So they're familiar with the neighborhood. Right. We have a road going right over it. Uh, it, we, it's a classic unconformity deposit with basement roots, similar to what was mined at Key Lake uh, back right. in the okay. 1980s. Okay. So technically, this isn't as much of a challenge. It's a little deeper than some of the Athabasca projects, and that's probably the biggest challenge. Good margins. Uh, what do you need? What do you need to get? What? Sorry. Well, is it 48 bucks for the other project? What I would think here? it's probably a little bit north of that, closer right. to the, the 50, 55 range. Right. Uh, but that. Who knows? That, that's who knows, yeah. Right, okay, okay, okay. And then what's the next project? Uh, so the, ne the next project on our, our list is Christie Lake. Right. And Christie Lake is uh, immediately on strike north of MacArthur River, nine kilometers away. Uh, it's on that, the, uh, the structure that hosts every pound at MacArthur River crosses onto our property. Mm. And there's three known deposits there to date. We're the only junior that has land package between the two world's largest, highest grade mines, mm -hmm. Cigar and MacArthur. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, in, in 2017, we made a discovery there to, to that grew the resource that we had there at Christie mm -hmm. Lake. Uh, and it's, it's, we picked this up uh, on an option. We invested our option now to say we own 60% of the property and our partner mm -hmm. is JCU Canada, mm -hmm. the Japanese uh, private company that's actually one of the bigger players in the Canadian uranium industry that nobody knows about. Right. They own chunks of several deposits and are joint venture partners with all the big players, the Cameco, Denison, and Arano, as well as us. So, you, so I'm interested in all of, all of this. You, you've got a lot of moving parts there, mm -hmm. and some of it you're in control of, some of it you're not. You can spend some money building out resource. Um, you've got partners who are not necessarily playing ball. Um, how do you reassess, or how do you assess your, your, your current strategy, and you know, how often do you reassess that in terms of what's going on in the, the market with price, whether JV partners want to do something or not, you know, whether you, you know, you've got, a, you've got um, this partnership with Asana, but you say you've got options there to dilute. Mm -hmm. is, that a, is, that a is that something you consider doing sooner rather than later? Would you think you're gonna? Ooh, you're gonna I, hard hard to I mean, dilute on resources when our goal is to grow the number of pounds. We but there's got to be other 
projects which yes we are and we have been on some of our grassroots projects right so of our of our large number of projects we have of about 14 or 15 of the grassroots yeah. projects we're not working on we actually vended one out a couple of years ago okay. uh, and, and my goal would be to see more of that portfolio working for us right. but not necessarily using our resources, so finding partnerships. One of the advantages that we have over everybody else yeah. in the basin is that we were there in 2001, before yeah. the last run-up. And sure. so we have a monstrous land package, and, and there are companies that have monstrous land packages. The difference is where our land packages is, are, are, are located, right. in the prime areas in the western basin and in the eastern part of the basin around the infrastructure. That, you know, and quite frankly, we're sitting on projects mm. that you know, there's one project we have called Rio Lake. We have three mineralized drill holes on it. I've never followed it up because it's not the priority in our portfolio. So the things that we have in the wings would be flagship projects for other juniors of similar or smaller size to us. And when the market does turn, we'll engage them to take on some of these right. projects for us and mitigate. And then my view is it's better to have 50% of something than 100% of nothing. Well, this comes back to this strategy. What, yes. You know, what are you, what are you thinking? How are you having to change and, and um, adapt to market okay. conditions. So Just sitting on a large package, land package is no, it's no value. Great, it's like a liability, quite frankly, <laughs> right? It's a cost, right? Uh, but how do you monetize it? Okay. So monetizing it with, uh, we did a deal with a company called ALX to to have them work some of the property mm. and work it forward. And so they're spending their money to decide mm. whether we want to be involved in that project or not. We have a handful of those other projects that we want to do exactly the same thing with that are not our core projects. Mm. On the core projects, the core, the core three, four projects, we have two that we, we can't move forward now because they're ready to move forward. So the idea is to make those other ones move forward, right? grow the pounds, and then move the most appropriate projects forward when the market does change. We can't control the macros, but no. we can control discovery. And what's, what's clear in the uranium industry over the last six, five, six years is that even in tough markets, mm. a good discovery in the basin creates great value for shareholders. And so that's our goal, create the next discovery in advance of being able to move our project forward. So you've got some institutional shareholders in there? We have a few. Cameco's are still our largest shareholder. Right. They're one of our founding shareholders right. when we first started the company. They contributed a whole bunch of the land packages, our Hidden Bay and West Bear Horseshoe Raven projects were, were their projects yeah. at one point in time. They contributed them. And then we had a junior company called Pioneer Metals contribute to oh, cash yeah, and the rest yeah. in the management team that founded the company back in 2001, 2002. So they got their own problems right now? The Cameco does, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So are they picking up the phone to you and going, what are you doing? Or are they just focused on themselves? I mean, what, what are, what are I, I think if you asked anybody in yeah. the industry right now, Cameco is completely focused on themselves and, yeah. and rightfully so. Uh, they used to have an, uh, a right to participate in our financings. And when things got really tough for them, they had to make a choice between theirs yeah. or ours. Yeah. And they, of course, chose theirs because yeah. that made the most sense for them to do so. They have a fantastic land package because they've been around the longest. Yeah. Uh, and, things, and that made a lot of sense for them. They're, they are, they do, we do keep tabs with them. We do talk with them regularly so they know what we're up to. Uh, and they're very happy with what we're doing. So, or okay. so they tell us anyway. <laughs> okay, okay. St you're, you're still taking their calls, that's good. Um, <laughs> I think more, as much as they're taking my calls right. as well. Okay. See, so, but you've got five million bucks left. Mm -hmm. Based on what you've told us you're gonna do, when does that run out? Uh, we we're finding we can be financed through to the end of next year without much trouble. Okay. Uh, what the level of activity in next year will be dependent upon sure. what we decide to do, and I think that we'd like to be a little bit active at least. Um, but we're not going to go out there and try to to do something crazy to dilute shareholders at the current. So rate. what you're saying to shareholders, I, I need to be a bit fluid because the market is a bit volatile at the moment. Mm -hmm. Or right, sorry, volatile. 
flat yes. at the moment and we need to keep our options open. Yeah. But at some point you're going to need to go back to market, right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, you don't have a whole bunch of shares, out. Three, 381 million shares, give yeah. or take a few hundred thousand, yeah. Seen worse. Yep. Seen worse. Um, Not so bad for a company that's been around since 2001. True, true. Um, if you do, I mean, again, just come back to what your plans are for next year, you, you know, and how much you're going to raise. That's a finger in the air time, the, I guess. The key reason what we don't know about what we want to raise is it really comes down to what we do with the cobalt assets, and our goal is to get that out. But you don't, you don't expect any money in from that, are you? Uh, hard the to say. Stage it's at. I mean, hard to say. Uh, it's one of the. It's the one of the only two, or actually one of the only four North America projects with a resource to date. Sure. Um, so it's unique. It, its jurisdiction is unique. And yes, it's still early stage, but I think what we're trying to do with the cobalt thing is also tell people what, what you know, cobalt deposits in the Athabasca Basin are unknown. It's a, it's a new style deposit no one's ever seen before. Mm. Despite the fact that cobalt and nickel are commonly associated with several deposits in the basin, what we're finding are nickel cobalt deposits that aren't associated with uranium. Mm. And that's not been looked for, despite the, f the long history of exploration there, and the fight the f despite the fact that several people have probably drilled a hole into one of these things and not realized it, because right. they didn't sample it correctly. So what we have is a little bit of a knowledge, and we're willing to sell that along with whatever that process is, because we think we can turn the Athabasca into, not only it's an existing global world-class uranium district, but it could be a significant cobalt district as well. well potentially. But, yes, but it's early days, it's very early days. It's very early days. People are going to work out if they can mine it economically, and so what the economics look mm -hmm. like, what the metallurgy looks like, mm -hmm. and, in, and indeed if it's you know, worth doing. But again, you're not in control there in the sense that you own the asset, but in terms of any negotiations, if you're going to just do it for cash, it's not going to be a whole bunch of cash. If you sit and you know, take, go along for the ride with them, it's going to be a while before they're into, into the money. So mm -hmm. you can't rely on that as a contributing Agreed. factor for your uranium. No, assets, correct. Right? It, it could be. It's can't, I wouldn't count on it, and I would agree with you there. That right. To count on it would be silly. Yeah. Um, so with uranium, your, your number one priority is, Christ, is, is Christy Lake. Christy Lake. And how much money would you need to raise, and how much would you raise, or are you going to say that's depending on what, what the price gets to? Because you've got to start somewhere. I, I, we have, we're in the process of just doing a $2 million program right now. Right. And we look okay. into 2020, I'd say we look to do somewhere between 2 and $3 million on our portfolio of assets. Okay. We will do an extremely small amount of somewhere around 400000 on the cobalt angle because we believe that we have the next prospect right on our property. But it's small, shallow, or sorry, it's an it's a easy player to get into with really short drill holes. Right. And so we'll put a little bit of money into that if we need to. And then the bulk of it will go into, into doing work at Christie Lake. Okay. We do have coming up this uh, uh, in probably in November. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to do an extremely small drill program of about 2,000 meters, uh, right next door to the McLean Lake mine. We border up to the Sui deposit. In mm -hmm. fact, the the boundary of the pit is within meters of the property boundary. Right. And we've come up with a concept. We, while we've looked down the trend and not found anything, we've looked. We're looking at a concept that. Our exploration team, including myself, were involved with discovering mineralization at the Eagle Point mine, yeah. included that extension at Eagle Point that they did back in the mid-2000s for a cross-linking feature to uh, actually right across the property boundary. Uh, we've done some work to test up that theory and now we're going to drill some holes in there. So it's one of, one of the few junior companies that can look at brown, true brownfield style exploration yeah. uh, right next door. And we'll do a little bit of work on that, but what we're trying to do is maximize every dollar we have in the no, ground. I get that. I th that's coming across loud and clear. I think you're what you said is smart. 
intelligent in terms of the planning. I think you you watch the 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 cents and the mm -hmm. dollars, and you, you you know you've got a low TNA. We've looked at your numbers; it looks good. Your shareholders, though, right? Mm -hmm. So they're waiting for great things. They mm -hmm. they always do, and they're either they're all in or they're or the, or they're not. Um, what would you say to them in terms of how this thing grows? I mean. Price will bring some sort of bump in return here, but how are you affecting share price? How can you affect share price? Can you? Oh, absolutely. We've seen it with some of our peer companies with the with a no discovery. So the trick is, what land do you have? Mm -hmm. Is it really prospective? And are you looking for pure grassroots stuff, or are you looking for stuff what we call what I cut to call mid stage exploration projects? Mm -hmm. So at Christie Lake, for example, this year we're following up. Old PNC, which was the previous operator uh, back in the 1990s, or in the late, excuse me, 1990s and 1980s, mm. where they hit mineralization and didn't follow it up. Right. So what we're not doing is saying, okay, here's a chunk of moose pasture. Let's go drill some holes and see if we're lucky. Right. What we're doing is saying, here's a target that hasn't been tested up dip or down dip, depending on whether we're looking for classic unconformity or basic yep. mineralization, saying, is this the right place to be looking up and down dip of? Or, hey, uh, on our on our Crystal Lake project, we had that discovery at Aurora on the north end of the three deposits. And then suddenly the, depo the, the trend dies, and we're going, well, how did it die? Um, this is kind of unusual because our experience, uh, our team has extensive experience in the Athabasca. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen this before, and we did some work and went, ah, oh, we did a restivity survey. It looks like it's offset the yeah. trend by 125 to 150 meters. Let's test that offset to see if it continues like we think it might. So we're not just hoping to find something on Moose Pasture, we're following up hot leads that would be flagship type projects for most of our peer companies. Right. Uh, and I think that's what separates our, our portfolio of opportunities. Uh, when we, we sit on opportunities like that on four or five other projects, we're not even be able to work because we don't have the resources. We're not starting from ground zero, we're starting from a base of something that we know. Uh, and our team's expertise isn't so much about, I can drill holes, it's how do we play these these, this expert, this yeah. uranium exploration uh, mid-stage projects to a T. So give me an example of that because uh, to me, I've seen so many companies, you know, do the drilling, get a, get a report done, a study done, and expect it to radically change people's perception of the company. Quite frankly, the market doesn't care. No, so, and I would agree. Right? Right. So how, I hear what you're saying, and that's, again, sounds smart use of time and money and using data to to make decisions, but I think a lot of companies would claim that. So, how how do you think? What do you what do you would you, what do you want to tell shareholders about what you're doing, about making sure that one you're going to be around long enough to see all this out, and how you're going to see a significant bump? What's the thing which gives them a significant bump? What you know, why the market will react? You know, uh, the only thing we can control, yeah, is how we execute our portfolio and make a new discovery. That's really what we can do right. outside the market dynamics. Right. right? And, and, and I'd love to say we're going to move Horseshoe Raven forward today, but we, yeah. this is not realistic. Yeah. So all we can do is make discoveries on the portfolio, but looking at that lowest hanging opportunities we have on our tree. Right. So for, and what we do differently than everybody else is that we're not bound by the models. So if you were an uranium explorationist, there's the classic unconformity model, and I, I can, and people who know me, you talk about this forever, mm. and what, what a lot of people do is follow the model to a T, and mm. no matter what they see, they're gonna follow the model. What our team does differently is we say, no, what does the rocks tell us we need to do, and where do we need to go? 
Right. So for example, that, that target we're talking about to south of McLean Lake is something that nobody else would do, but will do because we've involved in discovery that actually did one of those. When we looked at our Christie Lake project, we had a plan mm. about what we wanted to do starting it. And then we started doing the work on our, our project at, uh, at Paul Bay, mm. the Paul Bay deposit and growing that. We realized something that the previous operator didn't understand. And so, for example, a, a classic unconformity deposit where the fault structure and graphite comes to the unconformity surface and it forms a trap and that's where your cigar lake and key lake deposits are found. And so people will drill the graphite at the unconformity and it was a mantra, it was almost a religion in the mm. 1980s, 90s and even 2000s and even some companies today. Um, what we realized is that we need to follow the structure which sometimes is in the graphite and sometimes is not. And not only do we have to follow the structure, we have to be at the bottom of the structure and that projected somewhere differently. Mm. than what was drilled in the past. And we went out and drilled where we, where we thought was the right place. We made the Aurora discovery. So we're applying that thinking across okay. the rest of the property. So we let the rocks tell us where to go. We don't okay. let the model so tell you're, us where you're, to you're go. So you're agile thinkers when, when, technically. Yes. Okay. So And you, you, you will adapt according to what the rocks tell you. I get that. So what are you doing in the market? You're here at WNA. You're meeting a few mm -hmm. funds, a few investors. What are you doing? other than that, are you bothered? Or do you think it's like, well, sit back, now's not the right time, we'll see where we are in the new year and we'll talk to the market then? Always bothered. Right. <laughs> if you're not bothered, then, then you shouldn't yeah. be uh, being okay. in, in the public company because yeah. it, it should bother you and it bothers me and it bothers me every day. Right. Um, but I think when it comes to uh, what we do, it will, it will be, we varied our strategy over the last few years depending upon whether we thought the, the traction was right or not. Mm. We believe now, with interest being a little bit different than it's been in the last couple of years, now mm. it's time to push and hear our, our story yep. and show people what is different than what our peer companies are doing. We're not a project play per se, we're a portfolio play. So if you want a mm. portfolio play on a bunch of uranium opportunities, then we're, we're one of your best plays. If you want to invest in a project specific thing, mm. I want to see where project A gets to in the next development cycle, yep. then you know that's where you should be. Okay. What we're what are different is we're a portfolio of opportunities that includes potential for projects because yeah. we have them in the wings. Gives you optionality. Okay, Absolutely. I like that. So, and I'm going to finish off with something which I talk to CEOs about remuneration. How do you guys reward yourself in this market where no one's making no one's making money because you're not producing? Shares are flat. You've got shareholder money. You've got to prove you know you're creating value, and it's difficult in this marketplace. So how do how, do you, how does your board decide how to pay yourselves or remunerate yourselves? Well, uh, you'll notice in our group there's been Public. very, very, very little changes in terms of the of salaries for the executive team or right. and the board uh, over the last several years, and that's market related. Uh, our board doesn't believe that in tough times that they should be giving out our company's money, mm -hmm. uh, and personally, I would, would I have been recommending that we don't. Over the last few years, we do do stock options, and that's the primary way we're rewarding people today. What's that average stock option at? Uh, probably for the for board members, you're looking at about uh, anywhere between 300 and 500 share, thousand shares in a given year, at what annually price? at uh, whatever the market price is at that time. At that moment in time. At that okay. moment in time, the same thing for executives. Uh, okay. I, the CEO is getting a little bit more than that, but okay. not much. We're not giving away much. We we keep well. We're trying to keep well below, well, we have a 10% threshold allowed in, in North America, mm -hmm. in, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. We're trying to keep well below that. Okay. You know, in the eight or so range. Okay. It's all public information. Yes, it people is. Should have, people should have a look. I think it's very telling 
Yeah, so tell us that you guys uh, don't we don't we don't see a lot of salary raises, and in this particular, I wouldn't be counting on salary raises for anybody as well because it's no. tough times. No, it's tough times for everyone who's given their money to you. Um, how, how much money have you put into the company, or how much money has been put into the company? Well, I've been going back a while, haven't you? Yeah. An unfair question. Uh, <laughs> my shares are definitely underwater. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I okay. hurt like everybody else at this point right. in time. Right. Okay. okay. I own just a little over around 186,000 shares right now. Right. Okay. But I've had to fund that out of salary since I started. So I right. haven't been given any shares, which is appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Roger, thanks very much. That's a wonderful first run through. We, we've not spoken mm -hmm. to you or anyone in your company before, so I think our subscribers will get a good sense of what you're about. I, I like the story. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.